Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. (laughs) His partner is Otto Strong, a man who has covered the NBA since before Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo. Fellas? Thanks so much, Darlene. What a wild night of basketball it was. It is just past 11 o'clock here on the Eastern Time Zone. I am joined by myself and my wonderful co-host today. His name is Bruce Bernstein. We decided to do this late because we wanted to talk about this Nuggets and Jazz series, which has been a really fun series to watch, and it's been really good to take in. And, Bruce, I thought we got a fantastic Game 7. But before we dive into that, just real quick, we are going to be talking to Eric Name of The Athletic. We'll talk some bucks. We'll dive into what that Game 1 loss from Milwaukee meant for them, what they can expect moving forward, and why the Heat might be the worst possible matchup for the Bucks. But before we get to all that, Bruce, We thought this game seven was going to be a lot of fun to watch, and it certainly lived up to the hype. Oh, it was tremendous. I mean, you could see that both teams just left everything that they had out there. I was, I was thinking as we were into like the last like six minutes of the game, I'm thinking this reminds me of a heavyweight championship fight in the 12th round where both boxers are running on fumes, but they're like all just blood and guts, leaving it all out there. I mean, how did, how did you see this thing, Aaron? I mean, I thought the closing moments of that basketball game encapsulated everything that we knew between these two squads. I mean, Donovan Mitchell sitting there laying face down on the floor because he did everything he had, you know, really to kind of will that jazz team back. What I, I think they were down 20 at one point, right, in the second quarter and to kind of have the third quarter that they did outpacing them 24 to 15 and then to get within two. And then Jamal Murray helps him uh, basically pick himself up off the floor. That spoke to what these two teams did this entire series, and that was they laid it all out on the line. And for people who thought that maybe the emotion and, you know, just the ferocity wasn't going to be there with these bubble games, that proved how much these players care about the playoffs, regardless of where they're played at. Well, the way that uh, Denver started, they, they actually built that lead up early third quarter. I believe it was 19 points, and then Mitchell brought them back. But then down, down the stretch, it's almost like Mitchell and Murray were just – they gave so much that it, that it was almost settled between the two big men, between Gobert and Jokic. I mean, Jokic had a monstrous game. I mean, he had 30 and 14. He had four dimes. He only had two turnovers, which is amazing considering how much that guy handles the ball and the fact that he's a seven-foot player. And Gobert was just a monster down the stretch at both ends of the court. Um, so really, it kind of, we all thought, you know, 
Donovan Mitchell, Jamal Murray, and then it turned out to be Rudy Gobert against Nikola Jokic, and and uh, and Jokic had just enough left. And down at the very tail end of the game, Aaron, I thought Gary Harris's defense just like yeah. not allowing Donovan Mitchell to even really get any kind of a good handle on the ball was was pretty amazing and and much needed. Bruce, it, it's so funny that you mentioned that because, you know, a few weeks ago when we had Kendra Andrews on the show, what was the one thing that she said she was really excited about in this series? And that was going to be Jokic opposite of Gobert and how those two kind of went back and forth. And we got a picture perfect example of everything that she tried to tell us to expect in this series right in tonight's basketball game. And it, it, it's wild, but you know, she, she spoke about Denver's defense and them needing to pick it up. And, you know, they hold a jazz team to 78 points tonight in a game seven. It, it was a beautiful basketball game all the way around. I think Michael Malone really kind of dodged a second guessing bullet on this one because in Which the part? second quarter, uh, Michael Porter Jr. played great. And then he sat for the first almost nine minutes of the third quarter while the Jazz were chipping away, chipping away. And I'm thinking, where's Porter? I mean, he was great. And then he did eventually put him in with like just under three minutes left. But then he really wasn't even a factor in the fourth quarter either. I mean, it just, uh, you know, Jeremy Grant was getting more of the meaningful minutes there. And then, you know, so I was like, I was all ready to jump on Michael Malone, but, you know, luckily for him, uh, they pulled it out. So nobody's going to be worried too much about that. Yeah, and, and Denver gets a serious win, right? Remember last year when we were talking to Kendra about this, Denver was bounced in the first round last year. They come back this year. They come back from 3-1, uh, win at four games to three in a game seven. They'll play the Clippers next. But I thought this Denver team grew up in a lot of ways in these last three games. No doubt about it. So, Aaron, I mean, let, let's look a little bit ahead now. So, <laughs> how do you how do you think uh, the uh, the Nuggets are going to match up with the Clippers, who a lot of people still feel are the team to beat? It's it's weird. So, you, you would be remiss if you didn't think that the Clippers were going to be favored in this series, right? Kawhi Leonard, Marcus Morris, uh, Paul George, that defense everything that the Clippers are, but the, when, when I look at how that LA team has been playing and this wave of momentum that Denver is riding now, I'm not going to say that I'm going to pick the Nuggets, but I think it's going to be a tough six game series for the Clippers. I don't think this is going to be a walkover. Like I think had the Clippers gotten the jazz in the semifinals, it would have been a different story. And we probably would have saw the Clippers win that series in five. I think this Denver team has a lot of confidence right now. And with what we saw from Jokic and Murray tonight, that was really impressive. And if they can get that in similar fashion opposite of the Clippers, then that's going to be a really fun series. But I don't think it's going to be a walkover series for the Clippers at all. What about you? No, uh, not at all. Uh, but I do feel that the Clippers will probably end up winning the series. And I kind of agree with you. I mean, it's probably going to be six games. Um, you know, I guess we're going to have to see how much Denver having to extend itself to go seven against Utah, how is that going to affect them in the first game? Because it's very likely that they would have something of a letdown. But, you know, then it could go the other way, too, but, where people are like, all right, like, you know, they're rolling and they're going to ride that wave. I mean, is that how you see it? Well, you're right. There's only so much that you can ride momentum. I mean, we saw uh, the Blazers were a perfect example, right? It seemed like every single game that they were playing in those seeding games was a playoff game. And, you know, they were able to ride that momentum to game one against the Lakers, a win, and then just kind of fell flat. Now, part of that was also 
because of injuries. But I, I think at some point the bubble or the balloon does burst. You can only blow it up so much and then you're filled with exhaustion. But this Nuggets team seemed really confident and defense was a big concern that we had for Denver. And we kept saying it over and over again, you and I on this show, you know, what were the Nuggets going to be like when they didn't have that home court advantage, you know, playing a mile high above altitude and teams going back and forth. Well, what they showed tonight is that regardless of if they're down three, one, they can find a way to win basketball games and to make them interesting. And, you know, they forced a game seven, they had the jazz on their heels the whole time. And it looked really good tonight, Bruce. And I think you're right in, in your comment where you said they really sort of grew up uh, before our eyes in yeah. the way they, they, you know, they blew the big lead and then Utah actually came back and poised. took the lead. Yeah. And, and then, you know, okay, Jokic settled them down. He played a lot of the fourth quarter with five personal fouls. Uh, Malone did do a good job towards the end, getting him out of the game at the end to put in uh, Miles Plumley, who, as uh, Mark Jackson and Mark Jones pointed out, was much better defending the screen and roll and was obviously had a lot of freshness in his legs compared to Jokic also. So uh, bravo, Denver. Well done. Uh, heroic effort by Utah. That's a young team. We haven't heard the last of them. Donovan Mitchell, you know, all love to him. Uh, really tremendous performance. And, and uh, you know, you're, you're looking at, uh, at, at an all-star for years to come there, I think. Yeah, and that's going to be a fun team to watch. Mitchell, Conley, Gobert, Ingles. It's a good young squad there in Utah. But you know what else is a good young squad, Bruce? We got these Milwaukee Bucks. They're down one game to none. They're playing a Heat team that a lot of people think might be, you know, the toughest challenge that they'll face in the Eastern Conference. And we got a guy who covers them pretty well coming on our show. His name is Eric Name. Let's go ahead and welcome him, welcome him in from The Athletic. It is my pleasure to welcome in Eric Name. He is a Bucks reporter for The Athletic, and you can follow him on Twitter at Eric underscore name. That is N-E-H-M. Eric, thank you so much for taking the time and stopping by. How's your day going? Uh, it's okay. You know, I'm just getting done with my rewatch of game one of Bucks Heat and getting ready to do some press conferences today and see what the Bucks do in game two. <laughs> I was going to say that game one against Miami was very eerily similar to what we saw against the Magic in their opening round loss to Orlando. What were some of your takeaways in that 115 to 104 loss to Miami? And what are some of your thoughts as we move into game two? Yeah, I mean, I, I think this Heat team has always defended Giannis Dedekumbo incredibly well. That's always been something that Eric Spolstra does. And the Bucks are just going to have to figure out a way to get him loose. Uh, there's there's always the belief in any NBA playoff series that the team with the best player is going to win the series and going into that series or going into this excuse, this series, excuse me, it was Giannis. Giannis was the best player in the series. Uh, game one, he was not the best player. Jimmy Butler was the best player on the floor. And if that continues for the rest of the series, then the Bucks are going to be in, in a lot of trouble. So I think the big thing is how do they get Giannis loose? How do they get him uh, better looks at the basket? How do they get him to the rim more? And then I think the other thing too is, you know, what did they do with Jimmy Butler in clutch time? It felt like, uh, you know, after the game, Mike Boonholzer said that, you know, Jimmy Butler hit a lot of tough shots. And I mean, I do think he hit some tough shots, but I do also think he kind of dictated where he wanted to get on the basketball, or on the basketball court. And, you know, he was taking shots that he felt very comfortable taking. So I think the Bucks are going to have to find a better way to defend him as well. 
Yeah. And one of the interesting things that you point out there is, you know, Jimmy Butler is so good at creating for himself, right? Like that's sure. one of his staples and he plays with a fearless mentality and an alpha dog mentality. And I really thought that he did that last night, 40 points. He kind of just really dictated the pace of that game. I also thought Milwaukee played decent defense. It's not the same defense that I thought that we got familiar with Milwaukee throughout the course of the year. Mike Boldenholzer seemed very happy with it after the game. What were your thoughts on the Bucks defensively, how they managed the heat, and what do you expect to see in game two? I mean, I think for the most part, the, the Bucks have to be pretty happy with what they did um, because they executed their game plan for the most part. I just think this Heat team is a different beast for them because the Heat really do a lot of the things that the Bucks try to force you to do. The Bucks don't want to let you get loose at the rim. And for the most part, the Heat didn't, but they ended up having 40-plus points in the paint, and most of those points in the paint were short floaters that Goran Dragic hit that Jimmy Butler hit. Uh, those are two guys that are really comfortable in that in-between space. The Bucks try to force you to that in-between space. That's where they want you to play. But those two guys really like those shots. And that's not typically something that the Bucks have to deal with. Most players aren't comfortable shooting those, those shots. So I think they got to figure out how to make Goran Dragic and Jimmy Butler uh, less comfortable. And I, I just thought the way that they got beat on the glass, that's not something that typically happens. They don't give up extra opportunities, extra shots. And, Adebayo was killing him on the glass last night and I think they're gonna have to figure out how to how to take care of that as well so uh, there there's some things there and that Bud's gonna like but I also think when he watches the film there's gonna be some stuff that he doesn't like as well and then on top of all of it they just put Jimmy Butler and Gordon Dragic on the line too much that's not something that they do Bud goes crazy over fouling guys and they put those two on the line a ton and another thing you know when I think about this Miami team they're really physical. You mentioned Adebayo, you mentioned Bowler. Those are probably two of the most physical guys in the league. How big of a concern was that for Milwaukee going into this series, knowing that pretty much every game, you know, if this goes seven series, that's a lot to play against a physical team like Miami. How big of a concern is that? I mean, the, the, I'm not sure if concern is the right word because everyone tries to be super physical with Giannis. That's something that he is incredibly used to. But I don't know that every team is as effective doing it as the Heat. Like the Heat are very physical, and in being physical, they don't foul a ton. Uh, in being physical, they form that wall really well. There's not a lot of ton of cracks on it. And then I, I think on top of it, the guys that they have that are physical also get a ton of respect from the officials. You, you're looking at Jimmy Butler. You're looking at Andre Iguodala. Uh, you're looking at Jay Crowder, Bam Adebayo. All four of those guys are – are guys that have the reputation around the league of being physical defenders, which means that if they reach in, if they use their hands, for the most part, officials are, are going to let them play because they've earned that right over the years. And that makes it really tough when Yannis Adekunbo going into that 40, 50 times in a game trying to get to the basket. Yeah. You mentioned Giannis. And you look, uh, if you're looking at it from a 360-degree angle, he had a great game last night, right? 18 points, 10 boards, nine assists, but the turnover numbers were a little bit concerning. You had a tremendous write-up in your post-game piece about the job that Giannis did and kind of some of the Bucks' greater concerns about how he manages playoff defenses. Can you speak to that a little bit for maybe the listeners who don't watch as much Bucks basketball, specifically playoff basketball, what you meant by that? So, and this really came up in the Eastern Conference Finals last year. Um, that series ended 
and Giannis and I had a long conversation. And one of the things he said was that, you know, he watched Kawhi Leonard and he kept thinking, man, that guy's in control. He, he has everything that he wants. He, the game is played at his pace. He goes where he wants. He does what he wants. His team is able to just lean on him. And one of the big reasons why is that he's able to hit that mid-range jumper. He's able to use his strength. He doesn't have to go fast. He can just use his strength, get to a spot, and hit a shot. And that was something I can't do. And, you know, he was very honest and said, you know, I, I put on seven pounds of weight. I got a new offense. I got a new coach. And I just started dunking on everybody. That's, that's what I could do. He's like, I just get to the rack and I would do that. And in the playoffs, it becomes a lot more difficult to do that. And he said one of the things that he has to work on is, you know, what does he do in those other times? How does he control a playoff game? How does he handle a double team? How does he uh, get to spots on the floor that he likes and hit shots that he wants? And during the year, we saw him use a turnaround jumper out of the post. We saw him use a little uh, baby hook in the post as well. Like he did find a couple of different ways to put himself in, in the right places and to dictate tempo and to get good shots. And, you know, I thought last night we didn't see a whole lot of that. In the fourth quarter, we saw him try to attack a, a five-man wall from the top of the key. We saw him uh, try to post up and then see a double team and then not get through it. And, uh, you know, I, I'm really curious what happens in that game if the very first possession of the fourth quarter, the Bucks get him the ball in the middle of the floor. Uh, it's out of a pick and roll with uh, Chris Middleton. He takes a couple dribbles in, backs on Andre Iguodala, shimmies a little bit and then shoots a turnaround jumper and it goes just long. I'm really curious what happens if that goes in because if that goes in, maybe Giannis has a little bit more confidence in that shot and we see it a few more times and he is more willing to dictate the tempo and the pace, but instead he misses that shot and you just don't really get a good look at, at him trying to dictate tempo and dictate pace and, and really do all the things that Jimmy Butler did. Like if you look at what Jimmy Butler did on the other side, Butler went at his pace, went when he wanted, went off the dribble, created a good shot for himself. And Mike Budenholzer can tell me it's a tough shot all he wants. Those are shots that Jimmy Butler likes to take and has taken yep. his entire career. So uh, those, are, those are the ones. And that's just not something that Giannis has quite grown into yet uh, here at 25 years old. How big of a loss was not having Eric Bledsoe? I think significant. You you look at – I just thought everything was way too easy for Goran Dragic early in that game where the Bucks, the Bucks scheme is going to create some looks for Goran Dragic. Their, their goal is to drop Brook Lopez at the lane. I wrote about how good Brook Lopez has been in that role at the Athletic a couple weeks back. And they want him in that role, which means they also want Eric Bledsoe in their guards to go over the top of any ball screen – and try to essentially from the top, you're going to bring Bledsoe in, and then you're going to bring Brooke into from the, from the rim, and then you're going to meet in the middle, and then hopefully force a mid-range jumper. And I just didn't think there was a whole lot of pressure on Dragic getting over ball screens. I thought he got to wherever he wanted. And George Hill's an excellent defender, but he's not Eric Bledsoe. And I didn't think George Hill quite had the first half that you would want defensively to set the tone. And Dragic got comfortable. And then after that, uh, I think the Bucks were kind of playing from behind and trying to figure out, okay, he's already comfortable. Now how do we make him uncomfortable? And, and they just couldn't find a way to do it. So I think that's significant. And then offensively, 
there are not a ton of guys on this Bucks team that drive. There, there's Giannis and there's Eric Bledsoe. Those are their two main drivers. And if Bledsoe's out and you lean into a Chris Middleton-led offense, Middleton's fantastic. He, he was, and he was spectacular in the first half last night. Uh, slowed down a little bit in the second half. And I mean, I still think arguably he had a great game, but you're going to get a lot of jumpers. Chris doesn't go to the rim. Like he's going, he, ironically, he's pretty much the exact opposite of Giannis. He's going to take some jumpers. He's going to get to his spots. He's going to go slow. He's going to go at his pace. And there's going to be some shots that maybe you don't feel are great, but he hits contested jumpers all the time. But if that's not going, you don't get the, the, you know, the offensive rebounds that come from a drive. You don't get the, the opportunities for a pocket pass that come from a drive or a kick out that come from a drive. You, you just get that isolation offense and you don't get all of the other good things that come with the drivers. So I think they miss blood so significantly and obviously they'll hope it'll be back for game two. So what is his status as we head into game two? Hamstring issues can be a little difficult sometimes and they can be finicky. Yeah, I mean, the tough part with all of this is the the hamstring injury kind of just popped up out of nowhere between uh, game five against the Magic and game one here uh, against the Heat. And this is one of those moments where I'm I'm going crazy not being around the team because you don't actually know anything. Like I'm I'm just sitting here on a Zoom call and asking whether or not Eric Bledsoe can play. I don't get to see him pregame. I don't get to see him after a practice. I don't get to see what he's going through. So I have, I, I truly have no idea. It was, I was shocked that he missed game one because it felt like questionable, right hamstring strain. Okay, maybe something happened, but he'll be good to go. At no point did I think he was actually going to miss game one. And I don't think I was alone in that none of us can know anything because in this scenario teams can keep us so far away and just have just just totally keep us in the dark which is totally their right and that's totally fine and uh the nba deserves credit for being able to pull all of this off but this is one of those drawbacks where it's like i have no idea i have no idea how eric bledsoe is what he's been doing in practice uh how he's going to try to get better any of that. I don't know. So we'll, we'll see. And hopefully coach Bud will be uh, open and honest and tell us all the information we need to know on this zoom call this afternoon. But I have uh, serious doubts that that will occur. The chance of any coach being open and honest ever is a fallacy. Yes, <laughs> that that we, were, we were talking to your colleague Kendra Andrews a few weeks ago. And she mentioned a lot of the same things, you know, the things that you take from shoot around, the things you get from practices and just the little pullover sessions and the scrums, you just can't replicate on a Zoom call. And hopefully we get back to a situation where we are in scrums and we are back to actually being in the building. But you're right. For now, this is the best that the NBA can do. And they're doing a fantastic job. I wanted to ask about Robin Lopez and Irsan Ilyasova. Ilyasova pretty big part of this Bucks team, especially with the way that he stretches the floor and with how good the Bucks are at shooting threes. Both are, were DMPs for game one. What was your takeaway from that? And is that something that we can maybe expect moving forward or is that just dictated on the pace of the game? Yeah, I mean, I think it might be something that they do going forward. Ilyasov has fallen out of favor a little bit as the Bucks traded for Marvin Williams. So Marvin Williams has 
I mean, essentially, they try to make the decision which stretch forward they want to play, whether it's Williams or it's Elias Silva. And, you know, they think Williams is as strong as Elias Silva and then can kind of move a little bit better. Uh, so that is someone that they like in those small ball configurations a little bit more. And then with Lopez, I, I think they're making similar decisions. The The Heat make it really tough in that, I mean, their starting lineup has Jay Crowder at the four. And, I mean, you could probably even make an argument that Jay Crowder is a three. Like, it, it's really tough to try to figure out how are we going to get Brooke Lopez on the floor for as long as we want, let alone how are we going to get his twin brother who's also seven foot tall and 280 pounds on the floor as well. Like I think I wouldn't be surprised if that continues to be a trend as we see the bucks go small, but also they got killed on the boards in game one. So maybe this is a situation where you do want a little bit more size. I think that's going to be a really interesting thing to watch with Mike Budenholzer and kind of what he might try to do here. It's so funny that the rebound numbers were what they were in game one considering how well this heat team shoots the basketball. When you look at Miami, they have shooters all around the floor. That was something that concerned Milwaukee going into this series and how they were going to guard them. What were your thoughts on how they guarded the three point line in game one? And then what are some adjustments that they might make going into game two? Honestly, I didn't think it was, it was too bad. Um, They really didn't get burned by a guy like Kelly Olenek. I thought, Chris Middleton, while he might not have done the best job against Jimmy Butler late, I thought he was fantastic against Duncan Robinson throughout the game, chasing him around screens, making sure that he doesn't get loose. And, you know, I think the the thing with this Bucks team is that they they do a great job on great shooters. They do a mediocre to bad job on okay shooters. They don't care about okay shooters. Like if you're an average shooter, fine. You're taking above the break three, okay. We're going to live with that. Um, So I I honestly thought last night they didn't let the guys that can really hurt you hurt you from the three-point line. Uh, And then they let a couple guys that aren't supposed to really be able to hurt you hurt you from the three-point line. Like Jimmy Butler hitting two threes in the final five minutes. Jimmy Butler takes two threes a game, shoots it at about 26%. Like that's not something that should hurt you, but oh yeah, Jimmy Butler's a killer. So here you go. That's – you're just going to have to deal with it. Like, that's just going to happen. So, uh, overall, I thought they did a pretty nice job on the three-point line. Have to do a better job rebounding. Um, but, overall, for as bad as it could have been with the way that these two teams have contrasting styles, I, I didn't think it was it was all that bad in game. Yeah. I'm interested to see what the overreactions are from people <clears throat> after the game one loss because we saw them against the magic. Right. And for whatever reason, NBA playoffs and NBA series tend to have a bit of overreactions after game one. Ultimately, I think game ones are just kind of to feel each other out and to feel where the series might go. But after watching the first 48 minutes of this series, what are your thoughts as we move into game two? Are you still confident that the bucks can take this series? I mean, if Giannis Antetokounmpo can be the best player in the series, I have no doubts that they they can take the series. But I think after watching game one, you have to have at least some concern about whether or not he can be. You have to wonder, can he actually be the best player in this series, in this series against this Heat team that schemes him really well, that has a bunch of guys that can be really physical and defend him? Like, can he actually do it? That's That, to me, is a bigger question than – 
than I maybe thought it was going into this series. I, I thought he would have gotten a little bit looser in game one. So um, I, I don't know that it's panic or anything. We knew that the Heat scheme him well. We knew that the Heat can make things tough on him. So it's not like a, a crazy, shocking development or anything. Um, but it is it is serious. And losing any game in any series uh, has to make you think about those things. So, uh, you know, I think as far as adjustments, the Bucks are going to do a better job putting him in different places on the floor, whether that's post-ups, whether that's pick and roll. Um, I thought the Heat did a really nice job denying entry passes to him in all of those situations. So I think that's going to be kind of the big thing going forward is how do they try to get Giannis a little bit more loose? And then, I mean, I think overall for the Bucks, it's how do you make Jimmy Butler more uncomfortable? Like him going, him hitting his final six shots can't be acceptable. Like that, that just can't be, whether or not those were quote tough shots or not, it can't be acceptable. So they have to find a way to make it tougher on him. Yeah. This is going to be a fun series to see how it plays out. And Eric, you're making Bucks fans feel a lot better after that game one. Hey man, we appreciate you taking the time and stopping by. This was a lot of fun. It was great to learn a little bit more about the Bucks and to gain some insights. And if you guys have not followed Eric, check him out on Twitter. He does a great job covering this team. It's at Eric underscore name. Name is spelled N-E-H-M. Eric, appreciate your time, man. Thanks for having me, Aaron. That was dope. <laughs> Special thanks to Eric Name of The Athletic. As always, you can follow him on Twitter. It's Eric underscore name. Name is N-E-H-M. He does a great job covering that Bucks team. And Bruce, you sat in on that interview. What did you think about some of the things that he had to say about the Bucks? What are your thoughts about Giannis and the Heat? Well, the Heat did a really great job building the wall around Giannis. Giannis, you know, in spite of coming one assist shy of a triple-double, didn't really have his best game. He missed eight free throws. So I would say that that is looking at like a seven-game series to me as well. How about you? Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. You know, we talked a lot of in that interview about just how physical that Heat team is and facing them for potentially seven games, it just kind of chips away. And, you know, the athlete and the ferocity that I think that – Jimmy Butler plays with can give them a lot of problems and just not to mention the shooting that the heat have as well. You know, you mentioned that one might go game seven. We're going to get a game seven between Oklahoma city and Houston. And this one has been wild. We talked about Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell being like two prize fighters going back and forth in this game seven in the front end, the stories surrounding this OKC and Houston series has been phenomenal, you know, with uh, just everything that the Rockets have brought to the table and, you know, the players going back and forth. What are your thoughts on how this one potentially plays out? Is Chris Paul taking this thing personally or what? <laughs> he has I mean, to, right? Like, exactly. I mean, he was on the Rockets last year. They traded him away in, in the Westbrook situation there and, and, and people were mention, saying remember how many things were said about his character about being a rocket at the time listen when he went over to okc a lot of people were thinking well this is pretty much going to be the end of his career because he's going to a young team that wasn't even figured to be a playoff team and instead of kind of rolling over and saying you know the heck with this he just took on the leadership of that team and that team has taken on his personality they're gritty they're scrappy, they're chippy, they're gutsy, they're clutch. And I got this feeling that OKC is going to win that game seven. And I know they shouldn't, but 
they shouldn't even be in it, game it, seven. It shouldn't so. be a game seven. That's exactly. That's a, you took the words right out of my mouth. There's no way that series ever should have gone seven. And the fact that now it is in a game seven, it's going to be similar to what happened with this jazz team. You know, like jazz lead that series three, one, you allow the nuggets to hang around, you force a game seven. And now all of a sudden they have all the momentum. That's what's happening in this OKC and Houston series. And I must admit, I'm, I'm kind of rooting for OKC. I really, I would like, uh, you know, it's an underdog thing for me now. But also, I think the Lakers will have a little easier time with them than I think they would with Houston. And I did pick the Lakers prior to the season to win it all. So, you know, full disclosure. If, if you're looking for straight star power, you would love to see Russell Westbrook as well as James Harden going opposite of LeBron James and Anthony Davis. But at the same time, you'd love to see kind of LeBron going through all of his old friends, right? Like the banana boat tour and the playoffs. Not only does he take down Carmelo, but then he takes down Chris Paul. Yeah. I, I mean, regardless, no, no matter how you slice and dice it in the NBA, you're going to get some kind of fantastic storyline in the playoffs. Now we can't have you on this show and we can't talk playoff basketball without talking a little bit of Boston Celtics. Yeah, we know, we know, we see the hat, Bruce. We know it's there. It's always there. If it's not the hat, it's the mask. We know it. We, we know there's going to be something, but man, your Celtics have looked really good. They have the Raptors down 2-0. Does Toronto have any chance of coming back in this series? Oh, I think they have a chance of coming back in the series. I mean, they're the defending champion. They're really well coached, but right now, I mean, Boston's got them on the ropes big time. I mean, look, when Marcus Smart comes out, and scores the first 16 points of the fourth quarter tonight, I think that just stunned uh, the Raptors. And even though it was nip and tuck for a while after that, I never really had the feeling that Boston was going to lose the game after Marcus came out and just absolutely – he went Steph Curry on him. I mean, yeah. what else can you say? You're going to be incredibly biased with this answer, and I, I think I know where it's going, but I'm going to ask you this anyway because it would be bad if I didn't. The Celtics have been the most impressive Eastern Conference team in the bubble. Do you feel that way? Do you feel that if the Celtics run through the Raptors, they face the Bucks in the Eastern Conference Finals, it's, it wouldn't be a shock if they won that series in five games, right? What, against Milwaukee? Yeah. See, I don't see it that way because one of the things that Milwaukee has that Boston just doesn't really have answer for is the Greek freak. They've never been able to do what Miami's been doing defensively against him. So, I mean, I would still favor Milwaukee over the Celtics if they play, um, really because of the Greek freak. And hey, who knows? I mean, the, I mean, is anyone even talking about the fact that Gordon Hayward got hurt? I mean, for everyone, everyone was thinking, oh God, Gordon, Gordon Hayward's hurt. What's Boston going to do? Well, I think they're doing okay. Well, Jalen Brown does, and Jason Tatum have been that good. You haven't had to worry about him. Yes, they have. And, you know, Ennis Cantor's been nailed to the bench in this series. He hasn't even taken his warm-ups off in either of the first two games. So uh, I don't really feel like – I would not favor Boston against Milwaukee. But, look, Milwaukee might not get there. I mean, Milwaukee yeah. could, could, could go down to Miami. And then Boston and Miami, who knows? I mean, you know, the, Miami's riding that wave too if they get by Milwaukee. Absolutely. So, uh, and they're another well-coached team with a great championship pedigree. So, um, you know, it's just endless fun for us. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. All right. Last question. Celtics and Raps. Does this series go more than five games? Um, 
I still think it could go six, but I would not be surprised. I mean, look, if Toronto loses game three, they're going to get swept. So I think you're going to see Toronto throw everything they have in game three. And if they win game three, then who knows? But uh, I think five could be the number. Yeah, absolutely. That seems to be how things are going. And, you know, if the Raptors pull out one game, that's not a disappointment for them at all. That's a team coming off a championship last year. You lose a top five player in the league and you still have a good showing throughout the course of the season. It's been a good year for the Raptors, hasn't it? Yes. And did you make your prediction for game seven of the Houston OKC series? I took OKC. Who did you take? Oh, I'm taking the thunder. I'm riding that thunder wave. You know, that storm is a brewing. Bruce. Just wanted, just wanted you on record. And, wanted you on record. And we are getting the banana boat redemption tour all throughout the Western Conference playoffs. It's gonna happen, <laughs> Bruce. This is always so much fun. I enjoy it when you hop on here, man. We talk some C's. We watch some Game Seven. We have some good chats back and forth. Always good to have you on, my man. Well, it's great to be here, but I miss my auto too. I mean, you know, and I know you do as well. So, auto, want you back next week, bruh. We need, you know, we need, we need the A-team back in place. I'm strictly a fill-in for you. <laughs> Absolutely. Ready to have you back, my man. As always, special thanks to our producers. They are Scott Turkin, as well as the one and only Bruce Bernstein, who does a great job filling in on this show. As well to our editor, Tom Phillip, who does a great job piecing this together each and every week. And if you are catching our shows, you know that we have a fantastic lineup coming your way each and every day, Monday through Friday. Monday, we lead things off with the Mike Weiss Show Tuesday. Tuesday, Fanta and Adams on the Full Court Press. They have a really good episode this week that you're going to want to take a listen to. Uh, the basketball community lost an integral part of its fabric when John Thompson passed away earlier this week. They are having a tribute show. They will be joined by not only Kevin Kluger, but also PJ Carlissimo. Wednesdays is your NBA News and Nuggets show right here on Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto Strong and myself. Thursdays will be Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McCord. This week, their featured guest is Gene Wang of the Washington Post. They'll talk about John Thompson as well as his history right there at Georgetown. And Friday, we will wrap things up with the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. We know that you guys love our shows. We know that you guys enjoy the content that we bring to you each and every week. All that we ask is that when you do like our shows, you rate them on Apple and you subscribe. It really helps us out in the long run. And I would like to say another special thank you to a dear, dear friend of the show, Rob Peterson from The Athletic, the NBA editor. Rob has had a lot of his guys join us on the shows, including uh, Eric Name this week. So, Rob Peterson, thanks a lot. We appreciate you, man. Thank you for everything. Uh, and uh, in our final words for the show, I just want to remind everybody, listen, we're still not out of the woods with COVID-19. In our basketball frenzy, we maybe are forgetting a little bit about the fact that you know, the country and the world are still dealing with it. So please wear your mask, do the social distancing thing, treat everybody around you like a, a cherished friend, a cherished teammate, and uh, keep the medical professionals in your thoughts. And also please continue working for the just and equitable society that everyone here at Pure Hoops Media wants to see. Uh, and again, you know, uh, please, you know, give us the five-star rating if you can. We appreciate it. And uh, Aaron, thanks for having me. Anytime, my man. Always fun. And everybody, have a great week. Enjoy some playoff basketball. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.